Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Unreroute the rivers, let the damned water beep. There's some people down the way that's thirsty, so let the liquid spirit free. The people are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind, when the water hits the banks of that hard, dry land. Clap your hands now. Go ahead and clap your hands now. Clap your hands now. Go ahead and clap your hands now. Mm-hmm. Get ready for the wave. That was Gregory Porter with Liquid Spirit. He's on the front cover of Jazzwise. That's the UK's biggest selling jazz magazine. And the reason I mention it here on Jazz Shapers is because I am with my business shaper, Mark Allen. Good morning. It is the time where you get to hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, along with their equivalents in the world of business. And I'm Elliot Moss, just in case you didn't know. And I get the chance to talk to these amazing people every Saturday. And Mark Allen is the founder of, in fact, the chairman of the Mark Allen Group, and they are the people behind Jazzwise. They own Jazzwise along with 65 other publications, but they're not just a publications business. They're also an events business, and they do exhibitions. They do all sorts of stuff. You're going to be hearing Mark's fantastic story very shortly. In addition to hearing from Mark, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And then there's some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Nina Simone, bluesman Albert King, new music from Robert Glasper, what a treat that's going to be, and this from one of my favourite pianists, it's Mr Neil Cowley with his trio. was the Neil Cowley trio with the fantastic Sparkling and watch out for the new album later in 2016. Mark Allen, as I said, is my business shaper today. He's the chairman of the Mark Allen Group and if you don't know who they are, you will do, I promise, by 10am because the chances are you have probably read one of their many publications or even attended one of their exhibitions or been involved with them without realising. Now, Mark, you... Um, have a fascinating story and it's always hard to know where to begin so we'll try and begin at the beginning thank you so much for joining me firstly thank you you're you were a journalist and the journalist became an unintentional owner tell me about when things changed for you it was way back when and then we'll talk about the bumps along the way before you became this incredible uh, head of an empire well, thank you very much, uh, Elliot, and it's uh, delightful to be here today. Uh, yes, I was a journalist. I worked on uh, evening newspaper in Sheffield after I left university. I did that for three years, and then I kind of joined the Daily Express in Manchester. I was a kind of investigatory uh, reporter and then a sub-editor. And uh, I was always sort of conflicted because um, when I was at university, I was very kind of socially engaged. I was a you know, little bit left-wing in those days. And um, so I launched a kind of a charity which is involved in kind of a lot of voluntary work. So being either a journalist or a social worker was always kind of um, uh, in conflict. But finally, I elected to be a journalist and a, a newspaper journalist. And then um, I did. So I was in the Sheffield Star for three years, the Daily Express for three years. And then um, I became a, an editor of a new social work magazine. So my interest in journalism and social policy, social work coalesced 
because I became a, an editor of um, community care uh, back in the 70s as the editor. I was at a fairly young age and that was a, a seminal experience for me uh, because I'd never managed anyone before and suddenly I had to kind of launch a magazine and manage a group of people. So I was very contented being a kind of an editor and a journalist. Um, and then um, I, I did community care for a number of years and I then became the editor of a magazine called uh, N- uh, Nursing Mirror, uh, which became very successful. We won um, three different sort of um, uh, awards. The, I became the editor of the year and we won the magazine of the year and we won the campaign of the, of the year. We actually campaigned for nurses' pain. So I was very contented going down the journalist track. And then one day um, I was actually asked if I'd become a publisher and, uh, you know, if you like, a publisher is a, a mini managing director of um, a, a magazine or a group of magazines. And I slightly shied at the idea because I always thought of myself as being simply uh, a journalist. And I didn't had no real experience of the commercial world. Anyway, I did that and enjoyed it. That was with Reed because I found that, that I could be very creative in trying to get things going on the magazines. And so I did that for three years. And then suddenly I was um, headhunted by another company, Thompson's, who used to own The Times. Um, It was a job that I uh, turned down about three different times because... Uh, I didn't really trust them at the time as a company. They seemed to be bobbing and out of different um, different sort of um, uh, sectors. But finally, I did join them, and um, a year later, they suddenly decided they wanted to get out of um, uh, medical um, publishing. I was uh, the head of this group, and I was very cross about that. And um, I went to the, the the manager director came to see me and said, "Look, I'm sorry, but we're getting out of uh, out of the medical world. Um, we can offer you another." job and our farm and meat group and I said no way Um, but what I will do if you like is um, try to buy some of the publications so overnight out of frustration uh, annoyance I became an entrepreneur which is something I hadn't really thought of before and that's a pretty extraordinary way into ownership. How about that? You're going to hear lots more about the journalist turned um, rather successful entrepreneur because the story gets better. Um, that's my business shaper today, Mark Allen. Time for some music, though, right now. It's the classic. It's Mr Albert King with Kansas City. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come I'm going to Kansas City Kansas City, here I come The blues man Albert King with Kansas City. Mark Allen's my business shaper, and as you were hearing, he was a journalist, and he got angry, and he ended up being forced into buying um, a publication, or a few publications, actually. Now, you're, the story here at this point, you kind of you. It, it's interesting. It took some twists and turns along the way. Those first few years, um, where you you built, you, you couldn't get the money. You, found, you eventually did get the money to buy these um, the publications. You worked out a different model of doing things with subscription. I mean, a subscription-only publication which worked fantastically well. You had a terribly tough time in the courts. You then emerge. Now, just briefly, uh, that little thing I've just summarised, how long was that period of time before the business began as we now, as we look at the business now, you can trace it back to these super successful successful times. How long was that period where it wasn't clear whether actually you were going to make it or not? 
Well, I suppose for the first 10 years or so of um, having the business, um, I always felt I was on the back foot because I started out with no money. Um, I actually I bought these two magazines from Thompson's, um, but I had no money. I actually went to my local bank and asked if I could borrow um, £10,000, and the bank manager declined, said he'd only lend me the money if um, my father would act as security. My father... This is down in Somerset. My father was dying of Parkinson's disease at the time, so I wasn't going to bother him. And so I also had a partner who's meant to be coming in with me. And the partner at the last second uh, decided to cry off. He thought it was far too much of a risk. So I was left on my own with no money. So I had to think very creatively. And what I decided to do, one of our journals, which is a journal for our hospital doctors, um, went out to 35,000 uh, hospital doctors free of charge. And because I had no other strategy, it was all or nothing, I decided to try and convert that into a subscription-only title, and um, which I did. And that was a, a great success. And probably it's the best decision uh, out of the whole of my career that I've made, because what, what that meant was uh, that we generated something like £234,000 of revenue, which was enough to actually get the business up and running. So that was the good news. So the first year uh, of having my own business um, went really well. Um, the second year proved to be a, a disaster because um, I thought I could walk on water, and that's always a very dangerous um, thing to believe. And uh, the second year, I was asked if I wanted to buy a magazine, which was a healthcare magazine. I tried to buy it off a company um, called Home and Law, which was um, had this title, but I couldn't agree the, the deal with them. And then they suddenly um, offered me another title, which is a magazine called Link Up. So I became very captivated about having this magazine. But I realised um, that there were lots of danger signs because although the magazine was owned by this company, Home and Law, there was a publishing agreement with uh, an organisation called the British Association for the Advancement of Science and they were entitled to 10% of the profits. So the first thing I did is I went to see the British Association of Advancement of Science and said, look, I want to buy this magazine, but I want you on side. And if you're not on side, then I'll walk away because I don't want any hassle. I mean, I'm, I'm new into my kind of business career. And uh, they agreed. I you know, gave them my, my ideas and they said they liked them. And uh, then I, but they wouldn't allow me to meet um, the staff so as soon as the deal was was through, I went to meet the editor and the ad director and I told them that I was buying the magazine. I'd bought the magazine. I wanted them to come, to come on board. I told them my plans for the magazine and they reacted positively. And But they said that they'll wait till the end of the week before um, they would let me know whether they would join me or not. The end of the week came and instead of getting a confirmation, what I got was uh, a writ for constructive dismissal. Um, so we went to the tribunal, my solicitor and I, uh, and we won this action. It was um, they were just um, trying to what they were trying to do is is get the magazine for nothing because they had a connection and a link with the British Association for the Advancement of Science. So then the next thing that happened was, um, and I, I only discovered this by chance, uh, uh, a magazine called Marketing Week uh, came through to my office. On the front page of uh, Marketing Week was an article which said. 
Um, uh, I can remember the first paragraph. It said, a furious row has broken out over the mysterious sale of Linkup to uh, Battersea. I was then based in Battersea, Battersea publisher uh, Mark Allen. And I was horrified. Two days later, there was an article in The New Scientist, all generated by the editor. And meanwhile, the magazine which I'd bought, which had a lot of kind of blue chip advertisers, the ESSO, Shell, British Airways, uh, the phone started ringing and they said, cancel space. We didn't know this was controversial. Cancel space. And we're going to hold it there because we're going to find out what happened next with the cancel space. We're going to have to move to the latest travel in a moment. But stay with me for much more about this, where this story goes with Mark Allen, my business shaper. Latest travel is coming up. And before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkon Dorea for your business. Hi, I'm Greg Campbell. I'm a partner in the employment department at Mishkondorea. I've been practicing in employment law for 20 years. At Mishkondorea, one of the interesting things we do is we act both for senior executives and for corporate employers. So we do get to see both sides of the debate. A lot of my clients are starting up in business and the questions they ask are, what should I be thinking about when I hire new staff? What I would say is the important thing is write down a contract of employment. It doesn't matter that you haven't written one down. There is a contract of employment in existence the moment you hire somebody. By writing it down, you make it clear what each party's expectations are and you minimise the risk of any disputes in the future. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. This is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday, 9 till 10, you can find us right here on Jazz FM. Mark Allen's my business shaper today. He's the chairman of the Mark Allen Group, eponymously named, um, and they look after 66 publications, and they do a whole other host of things as well. It's a phenomenally good business. We went back a bit in time, though, when we were at this point when it wasn't so rosy, Mark, and this was just before you made it, and there was this court case pending, basically, on this new publication that you, you had bought, very briefly just explain this court case didn't quite go the way you wanted it to go you were what were you left with and how long did it then take you to build again well what i was finally left with was a bill for five hundred twenty-five thousand. remember i started the business with with nothing even a ten thousand pound loan which um the bank had refused and um, so that was a very dismal kind of period. I won the legal action. I, I fought this injunction uh, against the advice of my solicitor, but I, my pride was at such that I thought I couldn't not uh, try and sort of face this action. And we won it. We won the damages, but um, we lost the commercial war because of all the kind of publicity. And that was a very, very sort of difficult pe- period. I mean, they, we left with these uh, enormous bills uh, what the thing I'm quite proud of is uh, because I bought this magazine in a different company, um, the accountants at the time said, well, don't worry about it. Let's just liquidate the company and um, yeah, just move on. And I said, well, I can't do that because I've got the printer who's actually servicing the medical journals, which I have. And the same printer was doing the kind of um, link up. And I can't you know, deal with him in one company and not dealing with the other. So every bit of money 
that I owed, I paid back. You know, no one suffered at all. But I was very close to bankruptcy, and but I soldiered on. But technically, probably I was, I was, you know, I was probably, you know, out of order. But the one thing that was going well was the medical journals, and we had, you know, pretty good cash flow, which is coming in through subscriptions, which I generated. So, the, you know, that was a positive. So things were were going. You know, it was hard, tough work. But what I started to do was launch a, a lot of very small little niche um, healthcare magazines and I was doing off the doing all that off the margins and then I suppose a big stroke of luck came a few years later when I managed to buy a dental magazine for four, for £5,000 and that was really a bit of a fluke because a friend of mine um, asked if I would go in with him to buy this magazine. We met these four delightful people who owned this magazine. They're all kind of north of 75. And um, we managed to buy it for £5,000. I mean, the magazine had been around since 1959. It was a magazine called The Probe. But the next day, my the person I thought I was going into business with with this magazine uh, decided to cry off. And I didn't know anything really about dentistry, but I decided to to go on with the magazine. I got a new ad, uh, ad manager on board. He bottled out after um, before he started. I then got another person, and I very, very nearly closed the magazine. But one Monday, I decided to get on the phone myself with a, uh, an ad person, and we decided that there was quite a lot of advertising in the market, but the other person hadn't really been going out there, so he went. And I decided that I'd go on with the magazine. And we started from that point um, building it up. And then um, literally four years later, the magazine was going so quite well. The phone went and someone on the back of the phone said, um, uh, we'd like to make an offer for the probe. This is uh, the one you bought for five grand. That's the one I bought for five grand. And you grand. sold it for, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, 2.2 million. And there you go. And that's what happens when you hold in there, you hunker down, and the resilient Mark Allen finally gets his, his due, his just, his just dessert. Stay with me for much more. And there's even more, as I said, to this fantastic story. It all goes good and continues to have been good. Time for some more music. This is Nina Simone with one of my favourites. I like the title anyway. And it's pretty bouncy too. It's Brown Eyed Handsome Man. Arrested on charges of unemployment. He was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney. She said, free that brown eyed man. If you want your job, you better. To feed that brown Nina Simone with my aspirational title, Brown-Eyed Handsome Man. I'm talking about me, of course. It may be some of it's true, or the brown-eyed bit anyway. <laughs> Mark Allen, um, this, this story that you have been telling um, where it sounded like you were on your knees, people keep bottling it left, right and centre, you carried on. Where did you get the gumption to, to carry on? Um, because now we're looking at a business that's turning over millions. We're looking at 62 publications, 66 publications. It would be very easy if I took a snapshot of the last two or three years to go, well, he's just arrived and there's a, another good publishing house and he's done a whole bunch of other stuff. But th- I wanted to go back to those formative years because I'm really intrigued about why you stuck it out. What is it about you that makes means we're having this conversation now? Well, I think uh, I'm very, very determined. And I felt at the time I didn't really have another option but to stick it out and try to make it succeed. So I think that if you work very hard at something and you believe that it's going to come right, which I did believe, even in the darkest moments, I thought that things would eventually turn. And, you know, I had the support of friends and family and everything. So, um, 
so I, I soldiered on and eventually it started to come out. Obviously, buying the probe was a very lucky break because it meant that I could clean up the, the my balance sheet and off the back of some of that money, I bought a house down in Wiltshire and we then started developing a kind of a bit of a business um, down there. So that was when things started to begin to go, to come right again. And these then the strategic plays into healthcare, into education, into business, music, leisure, travel, exhibitions, all sorts of things that have then come through how have you strategized what's made you go from one to another what is it in the back of your mind because you said you're the probe may have been a lucky break but you don't keep having lucky breaks mark you're making strategic decisions where do they come from for you well i don't think um, i'm typical kind of um, harvard business school and you know lots of people would probably say that we've got our eggs in far too many baskets but as far as i'm concerned i quite like the fact that we have got a, a wide range of um, different products and i think first of all we developed a kind of uh, a business in in healthcare publications a lot of those were uh, niche um, publications so we've got several um, journals that service um, serve kind of the nursing population as well as you know doctors and healthcare you know managers and so that was kind of a if you like a lot of niche kind of magazines or journals which we were launching and that started to build up quite well most of them were subscription based you know small little magazines and that started to, to come good and then I was always kind of interested in education and my wife was uh, is a teacher, was a teacher, and we decided to go into the educational world. You know, first of all, I launched a, a magazine called um, I Early Years Educator, and then we started acquiring and launching one or two other kind of titles. And now we've got um, seven or eight different sort of education titles. So that came um, second uh, to the kind of healthcare side. But it sounds like you just sort of said, "Well, I'm passionate and I like the look of them," and then you apply the same logic to how to build a business. I mean, basically, that sounds what it. it, it yeah. Yeah. has been going on. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, some people um, always said that I was a medical publisher. I'm not a medical publisher. I don't actually know a great deal about medicine. I like doctors and nurses, but I, I believe that I'm a publisher. And I think if you've got the skills of in um, launching one in one sector, then you should have the, the skills of actually being involved in other, other parts of, uh, of publishing. And so that's what I've tried to do. Obviously, more recently, we've acquired a, acquired a lot of magazines from Haymarket, and they've all worked out very well. And at the moment, I'm indulging some of my passion, which is in music. I mean, I love music. I bought... Um, you know, Jazzwise magazine, uh, which has been a tremendous sort of uh, boost to the company. It's, it's pointed us in a different direction. And from Jazzwise, um, we've actually then gone on to buy, you know, Gramophone magazine from um, from Haymarket. And then Songlines I bought last year from, yeah, basically Chris Pollard and some other sort of directors. So I'm now, if you like, indulging myself. But, you know, not, it's not, uh, I'm, I think there's a commercial rationale for what we're doing in the music side because all three of those magazines are profitable making money but it's something that i enjoy doing and uh, indeed it hasn't been a super indulgence because your business is now turning over just around 30 million pounds or just under which um sounds to me pretty healthy indeed with a very healthy margin too final chat coming up with mark plus we're going to be playing a track from robert glasper's miles davis project that's after the latest traffic and travel jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mish Rea. it's business but it's personal Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
That was Robert Glasper and Miles Davis, I'm Leaving You. It's off the album Everything's Beautiful, and if you've seen the film Miles Ahead, then you'll know it's from there as well. Mark Allen's my business shaper just for a few more minutes. You've now built this business, Mark, and it's north of 30 million, and the profit's north of 4 million. I mean, extraordinary from the time when you couldn't get £10,000 from the bank manager. I bet he's ruining the day he didn't provide you with your funds. But anyway, so be it. What does the future hold for you now? You, you've built this empire. Your son's in the business now, I believe, in a in a significant way. He's managing director. Where do you go from here? You've still got the passion, still got the drive, or are you going to put your feet up soon? Well, I still have He's the young, passion. by the way. He's very young, but I'm, just, <laughs> I'm asking, obviously, you've been doing it a long time. Well, I don't feel young at times, but I, I've still got a lot of uh, energy and passion, and having... Um, it's, a, it's a family business, so the only shareholders are the family. So, you know, obviously I'm the majority shareholder with my wife and my sons involved and my children, uh, but it is a family business. And I think that what we've got had in the last um, few years is a momentum. And as long as the momentum keeps going, you know, I want to keep going. And as, as you said, we've turned over 32.5 million. We made, we'll make about 4.5 million pound profit this year, net profit, which uh, a publishing company is very good. I don't think many publishing companies are doing as well as that. But I think that uh, we've got plenty of opportunities to develop the business. We've got a, a five-year plan. Our five-year plan is to develop the business into 50 million and to make... Uh, some in the region of um, you know eight million pound nine million pound profit so that's what we're we're trying to do and as long as I'm enjoying it which I still am um, then we'll go on but I think it in in business um, it's important also to have a hinterland and I'd like to believe I have a hinterland I I, I love music. I try to play the saxophone, not very well, um, but I've got interests like that, which I think keep you going and give you the passion and the enthusiasm to actually help develop the business. If I turn around tomorrow and said I've got a buyer for you, are you for sale? I'm always a street um, trader, Elliot, so if you come up with the right money, I'll be prepared to negotiate with you. We'll talk after 10 o'clock. Mark, it's been really good having you um, as a guest today. Thank you so much. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen? Well, I've chosen um, a, a, the latest CD by um, Liam Carroll, and that's um, the Seaside. And I've chosen that because Liam is a wonderful person. Um, she's played at a jazz festival, which I organised for eight years in down in Wiltshire. I heard her last year um, at Salisbury, but there was a festival called um, Celebrate um, Voice. And I think what the, the her record is, I mean, Liam, and I don't think she might, Liam's had her stresses and strains in life. And if you like The Seaside, which is her record, is a kind of, I think, a sort of a, a metaphor for her life. She's actually at times has suffered from depression and I think you know the seaside is connected with um, both triumph and also disaster and if you haven't heard it it is absolutely beautiful particularly the first track it's an absolutely beautiful record and uh, I admire greatly what she does musically and I like her very much as a person so that's why I've chosen it a very good reason to and here she is it come and watch it go the wind may whine and the snow may snow 
That was Seaside from Leanne Carroll, the song choice of my business shaper today, Mark Allen. A self-made man, someone who had to literally do it all on his own without even getting the help from a bank manager at one point in time. Resilient. Tough times did not stop this man persevering and carry on going forward. Many others would have just stopped and wouldn't have had the stomach for it. An opportunistic. When he's seen a gap, he's gone for it and he's built an empire on the back of all of those things. It's really, really impressive and I have a lot of admiration for him. Do join me, same time, same place. That's 9am here on Jazz FM next Saturday. But stay with us right now because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal.